Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Previously On. Now normally we just do episode and season recaps, but we thought we would uh, we'd do a little bit of a debrief. So we'd look back at episode one and see what we all thought and also get ourselves all excited and ready for episode two. It's going to be me, Jamie East, hello, uh, chatting to two excellent guests each week. Not for too long, I hope. Uh, and we're putting this out on a Sunday to give you just enough time before the next episode begins. Don't forget, previously on's Game of Thrones uh, section is working in association with Sky Atlantic and you can watch every episode of Game of Thrones season one to seven with Sky's ultimate on-demand TV pack if you need to go back and check on a few things. Uh, the final season is on Sky Atlantic right now. For more details, head over to sky.com. Okay, I have got. I've got no idea how this is going to go. Really, we've not really got a set agenda. Uh, welcome to previously on. I've got two wonderful people who uh, I've worked with before, and who also are as passionate and as knowledgeable about uh, the, the the goings on in the Seven Kingdom as I am, if not more. Uh, first up, I'll give a big hello to an old friend. If you remember Thronecast from what season three and season four, you remember Elio and Linda, who used to come on every week and talk to us uh, and and help us compare and contrast between what was going on on screen and what was going on between George's pages as well. And I'm really pleased to welcome Linda from Westeros.org. Linda, how are you doing? Hi, thank you very much for, you know, having me back on in this new format. It's I'm doing great. A um, little bit in the middle of, you know, with the show, everything is, you know, it's a bit exhausting. It's always a very intensive period, but yeah. but it's good. It's good. And and how how are you got how are you and Elio feeling about about how the since we last spoke about how the show has has, has developed kind of separately or parallel to the books? Yeah, well, you know, Elio kind of dropped out watching after uh, season Heathen. five. Heathen. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he he had some problems with the Dorn storyline being very different from from the books, and he felt that you know, uh, I'll, so he'll just wait for uh, the books, and he said maybe he'll revisit it afterwards. I mean, it's not like okay. he's avoiding spoilers because that's impossible. Yeah, 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 sure. And also on the line is a very good friend of mine, an excellent writer. I've known him for. I mean, he's known to, he's known to his friends as Mando, but you can call him Chris Mandel, a writer. He's reviewing the uh, reviewing the Game of Thrones series for the I paper chris how are you doing sir i'm very well thank you thank you very much for having me on in a professional capacity my pleasure my pleasure uh, how, are you, how are you feeling about about the about about season eight in general 
Good, good. Yeah, I mean, the process for me, because I watch it at about 2 a.m., the process is quite odd because I watch it and no one's awake and I go to bed again. And in the days that follow, my opinion has kind of changed in a few ways. Yeah. Like, things like maybe I'm not as fond of things that felt really solid sort of feel a little bit shaky. So it's quite an interesting way that we're consuming the show. It's it's unlike anything else. Well, that's literally. why I wanted to wait a few days before recording this because it's such an imp- like you know such an important series to us fans that it takes a bit of time to digest and deliberate about what's going on doesn't it because it's there's you can give your knee jerk reactions and i think i think everyone's knee jerk reactions after episode 1 was oh my god the elephants or or the, the or the kind of the funny lines or the memeable kind of stuff but it, it takes a few days to digest and and work out what those little glances mean and 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 actually what it means for the for the bigger picture so i'm going to start with start with you chris if that's all right about what what themes did you pick up on from episode one that that you found particularly tantalizing um the the thing that the thing that's really exciting is actually now that the show has got most of its main characters in one place it's actually quite hard to see who the main character is supposed to be who the real protagonist is yes. in the show and what i found particularly interesting is how almost sidelined Daenerys has become um she's slightly problematic for most of the characters we care about now there was a few glances where it was you know her attitude and her behavior was actually seen as quite a problem um and Sam's conversation with John at the very end where he said, you know, you gave up your crown for her. Do you think she'd do the same for you? Yeah. That is basically, aside from all the battles, I think that's what this season is going to hinge on. Yeah. Is is is, is she the kind of person that's going to do that if there's a, uh, someone with a better claim? So I found that the most fascinating thing. Um, I think all of the reunions I loved at the time, I was like cheering and I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. And that kind of fades quite quickly when you realise that Bran kept saying, we haven't got time for this. And then more people were like running across the courtyard and hugging him. <laughs> um, so, and I think that's only going to get worse because Bran is presumably going to reunite with Jamie properly. And I presume also with Theon at some point. So yeah. I'd like less reunions. I feel like I get, I get it. Like, it had I, to happen though, didn't it? I mean, they had to get all of that out of the way because, you know, we've been waiting seven odd seasons for everybody to kind of be in the same place. So they had to get it. But you picked up on an interesting point there about Daenerys almost becoming a slightly lesser character. And Linda wanted to ask you about that. It's kind of, you know, we've, we've spent kind of like seven seasons seeing Daenerys's point of view from the other side of the sea and and her her kind of story has been how she's had to deal with the slavery and how, to, how she's had to learn to become a rightful uh, leader which she has become but now in the grand scheme of things she's just one of one of many isn't she and she's she's got a bit of a fight on her hands yes it's interesting seeing it that way i mean in some ways it kind of looks like because if you look at the books where all of the rulers except Daenerys, she's the only one who has point of view chapters. The other kings never got point of view chapters. Right. And now it's kind of like she doesn't have a Linda, point of view Sorry chapter. to interrupt. Could you just explain what that means for people that haven't read the books? Yeah, sure. Uh, basically, when the books are structured so that different characters have, you read it from different point of view. So you've got chapters named, you know, Jamie or Bran or John and Sansa and so on. Uh, not all characters get those. Right. Uh, so the kings traditionally, uh, Martin avoided giving kings like Rob and Robert or Stannis. They did not get their own point of views. Okay. Instead, you got somebody close to them. But Daenerys always had it. But now she's kind of more 
she's the problematic figure. She's the conqueror. Um, and uh, that's always been an interesting uh, aspect of her story. Yeah. What's it going to be like when she comes to Westeros and is the conqueror? She kind of has to be, you know, she's got the whole thing. She wants the Iron Throne. And well, to get the Iron Throne, she's going to have to walk over some people. Yeah. And I think one 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 thing I can't work out, and I asked both of you this question, is is, is we we seem Daenerys seems to be at a bit of a crossroads where we're either going to have to deal with the kind of political side of Daenerys about whether she will give up uh, the throne for John or whether indeed if he even bothers if he if he even tells her, let's be frank, because this might not even transpire to become a thing. Um, or whether or not it's the fact that she's got Targaryen blood and is generally a bit mad. Do you know what I mean? And and it's about whether or not we go we come full circle at the end of this season where we do have another mad where we have the Mad Queen, which is so you know whether it's going to be the Mad Queen Cersei or the Mad Queen uh, Daenerys. So it's, da- Daenerys, whilst whilst I think she's going to be a lesser figure at the moment, is going to be the kind of crux of the the kind of nucleus of the whole season, isn't she? It's about whether or not she decides to fight or bend the knee. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge point. I mean, it's interesting to note just just on that is that most of the footage we've seen in the trailer looks like it's all running up to this battle of Winterfell. So it's fascinating to think about what the show is going to look like after that. Well, this is the, this yeah, that's a really good point because we know that the battle of Winterfell is episode three. I don't think that's that's no spoiler uh, that yeah. that has already been yeah. revealed and it's already been we've already been been told that it's the greatest it's the it's the longest ever battle filmed. You know, beats kind of all blah 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 whatever you want to go back and, and, and compare it to and to me that's the most exciting thing about this series is because whilst I love the battles I love the Battle of the Bastards and I loved Hard Home and I loved all those kind of great climactic scenes the heart of Game of Thrones for me is the political intrigue and the and the relationship stories so I'm so excited to find out that we're getting the big battle out of the way and what's left in the ashes of that battle we've still got what what uh, three episodes left and that's that's really exciting yeah i think also i think that's the, the, the challenge that the show has because it was it was praised very early on for doing several things at once you know it's got to come back to uh, a sort of it's got to dovetail back it's got to come back to the start what does this show what is this show about like yeah. what does this show to be known for and i think it started off really those early episodes they were very much a family slash political drama and i think the show is going to have to realize it's it can't be all things at once in the final moment it's got to come back to the start so i think it's going to have to lean into that and i think that's going to be the most exciting thing i find as much as i love the battles they're not where um, the most tension is for me thematically. I think Battle of the Bastards, it had to go a certain way. We knew that, you know, yeah. John had been brought back to life. It was very unlikely that, when, that, that, that the army was going to get defeated. So I find them a bit less exciting. Um, the stuff that I'm much more invested in is the, the naughty stuff. And this nearest John, who's going to be around? What's the sort of um, survivors? What are they going to look like in the future? Yeah. What's the class going to look like going forward that's the stuff that excites me because there's just no way that they can all win someone's going to sit on the throne however maybe there isn't a throne maybe you know there's all these kind of theories about what that might look like so that's what i'm so excited about yeah and what about what about you linda uh, how how do you feel about what the aftermath i guess the aftermath of the battle of winterfell really yeah i've all been thinking a lot about it actually sort of realizing okay it's episode three and uh, who's going to be left? 
what sort of positions are they going to take? Obviously, they spent a lot of time in the first episode setting up the tensions, as we've said, with Danny, everyone being suspicious of her, Sansa in particular, and uh, John sort of being a little at odds with his siblings because of Daenerys. So um, once we're done with the battle where, where everyone kind of has to unite and, and fight and get that done with, we obviously have Cersei left. Yeah. Uh, so that's obviously, there's going to be more fighting, uh, but they have long episodes. The last three episodes, mm. I think, all, are all running into the like 80 minutes. 80, 80 minutes, yeah, that's right, yeah. So th they have a lot of time to work with. And I do hope, like Chris, that they um, go back to exploring uh, the uh, the characters and how they feel about, about the aftermath. I mean, I'm expecting there will be deaths, how people should have some time to react to those. People yeah. should have some time to be affected by them. You know, if the battle goes poorly, if one or more dragons are lost, is that going to be something that, I mean, that'll change the power balance as well between yeah. uh, uh, Daenerys and everyone else. Uh, I think that's going to be a key one. How, who's got the most power, who's essential to the ending and how do they, how do they deal with then going to peace? Because um, Daenerys is kind of this conqueror figure who, if we look at sort of the end of um, some of the imagery they used in earlier seasons where she kind of starts to realize, you know, she's she's a fighter, she's a conqueror. Yeah. And uh, we've got similar lines in the last book as well where she talks about how she's, you know, she's like a dragon. She's not made for peace. Yes. And that, is something that I, I am very interested in seeing what happens with that. Let's talk about Daniel and, and, and David's kind of uh, the way that they presented episode one, which was which everyone has now kind of realised was it was almost a perfect mirror image of, of the of the first ever pilot, you know, from the opening scene of the boy running through uh, Winterfell, mirroring Bran uh, kind of running around on the bridge, even what Arya was doing, where she was separated, kissed the way that Jon kissed Bran and welcomed him. Um, do we think that then... That that's going to continue. That, that 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 there is some some kind of poetic circle being drawn around the whole saga, Chris. Um, I think so. I think the show's always been interested in generations having to inherit their ancestors' problems, and the the sort of way that we've now got um, lots of Arya kind of seeing the young kid running along like she did all those years ago, and sort of standing a bit further back and knowing that it wasn't that big. You know, there's all these kind of images of um, everyone growing up. Yeah. And I think um, the show's always been interested in that sense of things repeating. I mean, this white, this is not the first White Walker invasion. Um, so I think that's going to be quite important. I think we'll probably see it less and less going forward, really. I can't yeah. see battle mirroring anything particularly. Um, I, what I would like is for it to feel like my one of my favorite episodes, which is the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Yeah. Um, that's such a clever episode for a battle because you don't really want the repercussions of either side winning. You know, it was the, the, the Lannisters versus Stannis, yeah. neither of whom wanted the Starks to have uh, any power in the North. So one of the reasons I loved that episode was that, you know, you don't really want any of them to succeed, but you don't really want any of them to, to fall either. You yeah. know, it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable seeing Tyrion's life in danger because we've grown to like him as a character. So what I'd like for a battle or battles, depending on how many there are this season, is just that sense that it's it's complicated and it's not the good guys killing off the bad guys. I'd love a little bit more um, 
emotional heft. No, I agree. I, th- I mean, I, I, I cannot see in any kind of, uh, in any scenario that, that this is going to be a neat and tidy finish to, to a series. I think it's going to be complex and it's going to be coalitions and, and, and all sorts of Let's just talk a little bit about Ep One again before we before we look forward to Ep Two. Um, Linda, I want to ask you about imagery a little bit because I've seen it's in online. A lot of people are starting to wonder, you know, the swirling uh, symbolism that's you know, I guess the Night King's calling card or his motif uh, of, of the, the the swirling limbs that we saw with the Umber Boy at the end of Episode One. A lot of people are now going back and saying, why does this look so similar to the Targaryen sigil? Um, should we be looking into that a bit more? Do you think? I'm dubious of that, to be honest. I mean, they, that symbol that they've been using for the White Walkers, it has kind of altered a little bit over time. Uh, it was not quite that circular thing when they showed up in the first episode. With the pieces uh, of horses, was that was that the kind of chopped up horses? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were using horses and some of the Night's Watch men, right, too, yeah. I think, to, to lay out. So uh, I think that they kind of just landed in this sort of being visually effective um, rather than and an, the circular imagery sort of just lends itself to, uh, I mean, it could be something with a spiral perhaps, because um, if you think about the origin of uh, the White Walkers as being created by the children, yeah, uh, and then thinking sort of about spirals being important to uh, a lot of early cultures and sort of drawing inspirations from sort of Celtic spirals and things. So I think there's probably more perhaps calling back to their origin okay. uh, with the children as opposed to uh, connecting to uh, to the Targaryens. Okay. And uh, Chris, my question for you on that one uh, for you to ponder on is, is Cersei pregnant? Um, yeah, good question. I'm glad you asked me. Uh, what, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yes, I think I think she is. I think part of her um, letting Euron pop over for a coffee late at night was partly <laughs> to provide an alibi for why she is pregnant, considering she, you know, she doesn't want the incest stuff to kick off again. The worst timing amid all of this for another. Yeah rumor that she's having her brother well so- let's, let's just let's just dwell on that just for a little sec because because you know she told jamie at the end of season seven that she was going to declare that the, that the child was his and they were going to be open about their incestuous relationship however we we also saw in this episode that she's you know kyburn sent bron uh with the crossbow to to sort out both uh jamie and Tyrion. so yeah. and and i've had a few people asking uh slightly confused about why Cersei wants Jamie dead. Now I've I've put it down as just the fact that they, he, she feels betrayed because he's gone north and 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 not agreed with her uh, plans of betraying Daenerys and yeah. Jon with the with the Lannister army. Is that that's right, isn't it? Is that correct? Yeah, that's how I would. Yeah, uh, fine. So, so so you think that she is pregnant, but with Jamie's baby? You think that was true? Yes, I think so. Yeah, that's that's the impression I got. I mean. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, I just don't know if with all the things going on, if Game of Thrones can handle a fake pregnancy storyline at this point. Like, it yeah. just feels so like Coronation Street or something. Well, I don't. Um, I think it's. I don't think it's any oversight with the the the. Um 
the predictions that Maggie the Frog gave, uh, the, the, the kind of medium uh, fortune teller back at the beginning of season five or season six, I think it was, Linda, where she, you know, she, she gave that prediction that, that Cersei would only have three children, all with golden hair and all be buried in golden shrouds. So the, the, yeah. li- the likelihood of this baby being born is, is pretty slim, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know that, are we going to cover enough time to for it to uh, be time for it to yeah. be born? Uh, things ought to be moving pretty quickly. Yes, um, and, I, th- uh, I, th- I think that this season is going to is going to be a matter of weeks in in Westeros time. Yeah, I saw on Twitter someone. I think it was the writer of the episode, Dave Hill, said that the crossbow scene was actually written and filmed for the season seven finale, and it got moved. Ah, so, oh, interesting. Oh, that I is think interesting. Her sending, saying to Jamie we're going to raise it. And then in that same episode being like, kill him with this crossbow specifically. I think that would have made more sense. Yes, in, that, that would have made a lot more sense in terms that of... It's just, just kind of broken up that... that sort yeah, of. that would have made it clearer if it came right after his betrayal, that yeah. she immediately, okay, I'm done with you. I guess they saved that for, because it would have been the only way of, of including Bronn in episode one by the looks of things. Um, shall we have a look forward to episode two and and have a think about what we can expect when i was a child my brother would tell me a bedtime story about the man who murdered our father about all the things we would do to that man he never should have trusted cersei he never should have either death it's got many faces i look forward to seeing this one The sun comes up tomorrow. So we've got a, you know, Game of Thrones have given us a, a lovely little tantalising glimpse at episode two. It's only about 40 seconds long. And and for me, there are two two things here. This seems to be both uh, the trial of Jamie Lannister and also the preparation for the Battle of, um, for the Battle of Winterfell. Let's yeah. let's let's talk about Jamie first. He's in a world, whole world of pain. You know, it was a, it was a great ending uh, moment of episode one with with him seeing uh, seeing the three-eyed raven slash Bran and, and realizing these. <laughs> I don't, I'm not quite sure what he was expecting. Was he expecting Bran not to be there? I think he hoped that Bran would be inside rather than just sitting out in the cold, <laughs> just waiting for him, <laughs> waiting for someone. To... Bran does seem to have um, been out in the cold a lot. Though. Not one person wheeled him back in. Um, so, you know, Jamie's got double trouble in there. He's got Daenerys waiting for him. Who, as as she pointed out in the trailer, uh, Jamie Jamie is the Kingslayer because he murdered um, he murdered Daenerys's father. And he also, it also will be revealed, if it's not already widely known, that Jamie did indeed push Bran out of the window and kick-started this whole shebang. Yeah. Um, which way do we think it's going to go? I mean, I, I, my, I personally think there's going to be a lot of hand-wringing and, and they're going to realise that Cersei is the enemy in all of this and Jamie's going to continue his fight on the side of Tyrion and, and John and Danny. What do we think, Chris? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, my... my... There's a line in the trailer that sticks with me quite early on where Cersei says, uh, sorry, Daenerys says we never should have trusted Cersei. Presumably they find out that she's got an army and that it's maybe even coming up north to to fight them. Like I, my, my feeling is that that subterfuge has to get found out quite early for this, everyone to forgive Jamie and accept him into the brood. 
So that's significant, I think. I think they're going to find out what Cersei's planning. Um, and I think it seems to me that that's going to help bind them together. I think Jamie might even use that to curry favor with them by saying, look, she's going to stab you in the back. Yeah. She's just brought the Golden Company over, sadly without elephants. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we need to expect that. And I think, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the main sort of thing I took from it is that, that they're sort of figuring out I think got enemies. Yeah. As said in the season seven trailer, enemies in the north, enemies in the south. It feels like everyone's going to be sort of coming for them. Absolutely. And and Linda, on that, what what that if that if that is indeed what happens, what that will do is we'll we'll just add more weight to Sansa's kind of uh, point of view in the fact that John and Daenerys should never ever have trusted Cersei in the first place. Yes, she's going to get more confirmation of that, certainly. That that looks pretty certain, given that line. And, you know, I can't see them, like, obviously, they're not getting rid of Jamie at this point. So something has to happen where he... You sound uh, so confident is, about that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm. if there's one part of the ending that uh, I'm pretty sure is going to be the same as far as what's been speculated in the books and uh, speculated on the show, I'm pretty sure that... Uh, you know, Jamie and Cersei are going out together at oh, some point okay. late in the game. So uh, that's not a I, spoiler, by the way. That's just a that's just a that's just a theory, that, that's, right? That, that's my speculation, but yeah. I think that's a book, that's a book theory, and I think it's one that will hold for the show as well because they've you know they've had the Valonqar prophecy, and she always thinks it's Tyrion, but uh, the, the general theory tends to be that it is in fact Jamie, oh. who's also her little brother. Okay. Interesting. So, um, and the the other side of that. So, so you know, I think we're all agreed that that Jamie's going to going to see this one through and end up fighting on the side of, I guess, who we are classing the good guys at the moment. Um, <laughs> the other the other thing that we've seen is that yeah, your prediction earlier on was right. It does seem as though time is moving very very quickly in this season, and it's almost in real time as as close as as we can get to that because uh, Tormund tells John that the battle is going to happen literally that night that night they've got until they've got until the before the sun comes up so i mean that doesn't as from from what i can gather that doesn't leave them they, they didn't seem particularly well prepared for a battle in episode one chris no and then in the trailer we see uh i believe it's a trebuchet i don't know if my war uh knowledge is up to scratch but the sort of big battering catapult thing I see one of those going off in the trailer. So I presume they've got some equipment in the basement that they just need to dust off and set up. But also, I did notice um, Jorah, uh, there's a scene of Jorah getting his sword out, and it looks black, which suggests that he's got a... Um, a dragon dragon sword. sword. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know. So obviously Gendry, the poor lad, after rowing for five years or whatever, <laughs> now working single-handedly in the forge making you know, 10,000 dragonglass weapons. Um, yeah, they don't seem particularly prepared. I mean, what is interesting, actually, is this is the first time we've seen the White Walkers in open combat. Yeah. I've seen them take a castle before. So I don't know if, you know, we don't know much about them. I'm, I'm intrigued how capable they are. Do they know how moats work, for example? What are they going to do about climbing the walls? So the advantage they do have is they've got this incredibly um, strong fortress. Yeah. And you know, there's a, a, someone was speculating dragonglass arrow tips, for example, raining down dragonglass on them. I think they're going to have, I think actually the, the humans um, are going to have the upper hand because they've okay. got this building. Um, um, 
And Linda, just speaking of the dragon glass and what Gendry was up to, can uh, any thoughts on what that weapon that that's, that Arya was after would would was was all about? Because that seemed quite odd. It was like a detachable dragon glass arrowhead for a spear, was it? I mean, it's all very weird. Yeah, it, it looked like something like that. And uh, I speculated a little bit on it when I did uh, my live stream after the episode. Um, and uh, there were two weapons. Piece particular weapons being made. It was the huge axe for the hound and then Arya requesting this one. And I think both of them are sort of like, you know, Chekhov's axe and Chekhov's spear. They're going to play some part, I feel. Yeah. Um, we've already, I mean, if we look at the dragon Viserion that the Night King has, well, he died to a spear the first time. Is it going to be mirrored by Arya yeah. killing the undead dragon with a dragon glass spear, or is she, you know, she's always been talking about, you know, facing death and so on. Is she going to try and face the Night King with it? Um, Interesting. It, we've not seen, we've not seen her use her skill yet. Uh, you know, she's she's got the obviously the the skill of the faceless men up her sleeve. Do you think do you think that's that's clearly going to be some kind of, uh, of of way forward for her? I certainly think she's thinking of of using it and and planning to uh, make a, a big impact uh, in the battle. Yeah. But I um and I do think it might be needed because I'm not so certain actually that the humans will have the upper hand per se I, I mean obviously it isn't the final episode so some people have to survive <laughs> uh but uh, you know, they've got a lot of numbers in those uh, uh resurrected whites they have they have and they we've seen when they attacked uh, at the the hill for example at the the weirwood there they just pour through things and they keep going so clambering up walls and just pouring in like a, a wave yeah well it's going to be similar to the, the like world war z the, you know with them climbing yeah. over the, the 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 walls in israel yeah, wasn't so it? yeah so they just keep going i mean we did see one preparation in the first episode they're digging oh yes they are yeah. yes so um they probably have some plan for that as a defensive measure and um so uh let's round it up and and my question for both of you and i'll start with you chris is is anyone going to die and if so who in episode two? Oh my god big question i mean i would hope that some people don't make it because at the moment i think especially with last season the stakes felt quite low in regards to who lived and who survived yeah let's get rid of podrick like he's not doing anything at the moment i could see jorah sort of going out in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Um, who, uh, I mean, it could, I think it's, I think there has to be casualties. Yeah. Um, there's got to be soon. Also, I mean, like Chekhov's, we talked about Chekhov's axe, Chekhov's spear, Chekhov's Melisandre. When's she going to come back and fix things? You know, I kind of. Yeah. Where the hell is Melisandre? Yeah. Do you think she's away? She's away plotting something uh, similar to kind of uh, the house of the veil swooping in and saving, uh, saving the battle of the bastards. At some point, I mean, the thing for me is that her thing is she is tied into not just the fighting against the bad guys, but specifically the White Walkers. So yeah. this is where she's got to come in. I don't want to see her turning up when it's they're fighting Cersei's army. Like she's got to play into this. Yeah. Um, she said in the last last season that she's going to die, so she has to come back. And in season seven, she just popped up 
unannounced, like the rudest house guest. So <laughs> I presume that that's going to happen. Like, well, I presume we'll see her soon. Linda, what about you? Do you think do you think we're going to see any casualties, any deaths uh, in episode two? And if so, who? I'm dubious of episode two, actually, because I think it's going to be so much battle build up. So unless they start the battle at the very end with a bang, yeah. Uh, I think that it's in episode three that people are going to start uh, going out. Okay, brilliant. Listen, guys, I think we've we've excited ourselves enough. Uh, this episode, this will be going out at kind of Sunday lunchtime, Sunday afternoon, just to kind of get everyone teased and tantalised, ready for uh, Sunday night or Monday morning, depending on where, which side of the Atlantic you're on. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. How can people read up, read up uh, all about your thoughts on Game of Thrones a bit more? Uh, the reviews are on inews.co.uk on Monday mornings and I don't stop tweeting about it. So <laughs> please feel free to follow me on Twitter and I won't shut up about it. And your Twitter handle is? Uh, it is oh, uh, uh, Chris underscore Mandel, I think. I should, I should know that. <laughs> uh, Linda, what about you? How can people how can people find out more about what you guys are up to? Because you, you, you are the font of all knowledge. Well, it's Westeros.org and it's uh, Westeros.org altogether on Twitter or, you know, on the website. And what we've been doing new this year is doing live streams right after the episode ends, after the first airing. So, yes, I've been getting up at 3 a.m. my time, watching the episode and then getting onto a stream in the middle of the night as soon as possible. Your dedication to the cause <laughs> is incredible. Listen, guys, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great having you. Uh, and, and I'd love to do this again, if that's OK with you. Yeah, absolutely. I I had a great time. Brilliant. Until next time, Valam Magoulis. That was such good fun. We are definitely, definitely going to do that again. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it useful. Uh, I hope it helped you uh, kind of pick apart the little things that we noticed over on the previous episode and also got you ready for the next one. Uh, what do you think? Uh, get in touch. We'd love to have some bit of feedback and let us know what you're thinking about Game of Thrones and Previously On as well. Uh, you can either email me at hello at previouslyon.co.uk. You could tweet me at Previous Podcast or my uh, alter ego at Jamie East. As with all podcasts, we live and die on your recommendations if you like this or if you know someone that will find it useful uh, many people are asking us to do this so this was for you guys uh, please share it with them and give us a decent rating uh, previously on is presented by me Jamie East and is a Daft Doris production Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.